Welcome to the Freestyle podcast series, bringing you real stories from those living with diabetes. We hear about the challenges they face and hope to provide some inspiration for living your best life. I'm Claudine, and we have to interrupt this episode for some breaking news. Those are certainly familiar words to our guest, Sky News presenter Stephen Dixon. From hospital radio to 20 years of rolling news, he's interviewed everyone from politicians to pop stars, all while living with type 1 diabetes. Please remember that before making any changes to your diabetes management, discuss these with your healthcare team first. Hi, Stephen, and welcome to the Freestyle Podcast Series. It's great to have you with us. You spent a career interviewing other people. What's it like today to answer questions from me? (laughs) Scary, Claudine. Scary. I'm so used to asking questions and... The beauty of asking questions is that you don't have to know the answers. Uh, so when it's either way around, it's um, it is a little bit scary. I'm not used to it, so be gentle with me. But I will try my best. To start off with, I want to talk about your early childhood and growing up in the Lake District. Were there any signs that you wanted a career in TV broadcasting? Yeah, my granddad on my dad's side was uh, an engineer, an electrical engineer at um, the shipyard. And he had a fascination with all things radio and television to an extent. He built the first television in Dalton for the, for the coronation. Um, but there was radio mass and all sorts up in the garden, huge, great big things. And although he died when I was two, so I, I didn't really know. So all this was before my time. I think there must be something in the genes somewhere because from a very early age, I had an interest in anything electrical, anything with lights and buttons and, oh, anything like that. I just loved it. There's always been something about broadcasting which has fascinated me. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but I I do think there's something weirdly in the genes that means that the whole process of broadcasting, I just find exciting. I mean, you must have seen such a change in the way that broadcasting's done from when you first started and looked at it at an early age to today. It's strange. I mean, I talked to my dad about this a lot because he's a, he's a bit of a, a sort of geek in a way. And it's the whole um, 2001, The Space Odyssey, the Stanley Kubrick film, had this very sort of um, uh, futuristic moment where someone goes into a booth and makes a video call. <laughs> You know, it's um, and now we just do it on our on our handsets and things, and you know we can broadcast. And I've been broadcasting from home during lockdown, and it's been done on an iPhone. So I've been broadcasting to you know to the world on an iPhone. It's um, it's amazing how the technology has changed. So all these little bits and bobs are, are fantastic. The progress is amazing. Though, if I'm honest, I do miss the days when I worked in radio, of having quarter-inch tape. And I do sort of miss the hands-on element of that. There was something quite quite basic and nice about doing it that way. A number of the guests that we've already talked to on our podcast series were diagnosed with diabetes really early on in their childhood, so don't really have any memories of life prior to diabetes. Your story is a little different. So you were diagnosed at 17? Yeah, um, 
it was a January, January the 17th, I think, memory serves me right, just before my 18th birthday. And I just had, actually, for, for quite a few months, it must have been coming on slowly. I, I had the, the thirst and the going to the toilet and then the, eventually the weight loss. But it was, um, it was the thirst that was the worst thing. It was absolutely terrible. Um, and in the end, I got to, my dad took me to the GP uh, and I walked in and he just said, you're a diabetic. They didn't sort of say type one things back in those days in the same way. You're a diabetic, <laughs> which was a bit of a shock. So I got sent straight to the hospital and had to do my first injection and everything straight away with a nurse helpfully saying, hold the syringe like a dagger. <laughs> but actually there was two things really there was one is i didn't care because i was so thirsty um if it got rid of the thirst then that was fine but looking back i'm glad i did the first injection because everyone's got this fear of needles and if someone else had done it i don't know it, it would have been more difficult to then do the second one so the, the fact i did my own very first in insulin injection I think was um, was quite a useful tactic, really. So I just sort of took it on the chin as best I could and enjoy, enjoyed sort of putting a bit of weight back on because I'd lost about three stone in a couple of weeks. So it was quite nice just to, you know, the, the sense of relief on diagnosis was was amazing. It was brilliant. I think that I think that gave me a bit of a positive outlook on, you know, having injections and what have you. And how did the family cope? Because obviously we know being diagnosed with type 1 isn't just the person with type 1 being diagnosed, it's the whole family. How did yeah, your family... Well, well, God love them. I mean, they still worry. They still worry and they worry that... I mean, I, I think part of the issue when you're 17 and diagnosed is you're at that sort of stroppy, semi-independent age where you don't want your parents to get involved in anything. Um, so I did try and push them out, I think. And even now, they don't quite get it all. They don't quite get it all. But that's probably my fault, because I didn't let them get as involved as perhaps they, they could have done. But it was fine. I was determined from a very early age to be independent with it. But they, they worry. And they, I'm 46. They still worry. So you've just been diagnosed at the age of 17. Big change, obviously, to your life, the diagnosis. And then next steps are off to university. How did you take that on? Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, looking back at it? It was, I mean, I didn't really think of it in, in those terms at the time. So I just carried on and went. But by the same token, I didn't ignore the diabetes. I didn't ignore being type 1. I was quite sort of determined to be able to handle it and prove I could handle it and all the rest of it. So although looking back i didn't know enough <laughs> probably still don't know enough about how to run things i was determined just to not let anything get in the way so i think i, I mean in all honesty i think i got quite a good balance because i continued with university life and got on with it all without ignoring the type one because i know that there are cases of teenagers who just get away from home and then pretend they haven't got it uh, which obviously causes issues and i didn't do that and so that was, you know, that worked pretty well for me. And I didn't have any type one incidents or anything serious at university. I mean, plenty of hypos and hypers and all the rest of it, but, but nothing that got in the way. So I was just determined to carry on. And it, it sort of worked. A bit scary looking back in hindsight, you know, how things were back then, but, but it was okay. 
And did you find anyone else at university who had type one that you could, you know, speak no. to about it or? No, didn't know anyone at all, actually. I think that's part of the, that's part of the issue with type one. I mean, it's a lot better now because of the internet and all the rest of it, that people can find connections. It is quite, I think a lot of type ones do feel quite isolated, that you don't, you don't actually know anybody else. I didn't realise that until I did, I mean, heck, when I was in my 30s, I did the Daphne course um, and was in a room with 10 other type 1 diabetics, you know, of all shapes and ages and sizes. And, and it was a really nice experience to spend five days with the type 1 diabetics because I'd never done it before. So, no, it was, it was you're sort of quite isolated in a way, but hopefully things are different now. Obviously, you said that it's so much easier to find people these days with type 1 because of social media and the internet. But do you think it still can be seen as a bit of a taboo subject talking about type 1 diabetes? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, on the surface, I'd say no, because, because I don't have a problem talking about it now. But looking back, I remember, I mean, at university and when I started work and things, I used to go hypo and not say anything to anybody because I was too embarrassed. So, and I imagine things like that still exist with people. So it's, yeah, it's difficult. There's so that taboo in, in that sort of sense, I think, of people feeling embarrassed themselves rather than there being a sort of taboo at work or, or what have you. So you finished your university degree um, and then you moved to the bright lights of London and to take a career up with Channel 5 News. What was this like for you and um, how did the move away from your family and I guess your your support bubble um, affect you managing your diabetes? Well, I mean, it, it, it wasn't too bad in a way because obviously the university was quite a long way from the family are in Cumbria and university was Nottingham. So, you know, there was, there was already that big gap. So there wasn't a big change as far as that went. The problem I had was that I, I immediately started working night shifts. When I first went to ITN, I was working night shifts and I didn't realise the importance of taking my basal insulin. And so I, I ended up going DKA uh, the first couple of weeks of getting to London, which was a nightmare. And that was, you know, purely down to not understanding what the different insulins were for, I think. There wasn't the same level of education back then. So I, I landed myself in, in hot water with that, which was a very unpleasant experience. But once that was out of the way, which is when I just moved to London, everything else after that was sort of okay. You know, similar to university in that I just, I knew the basics and got on with it. So a lot of our listeners won't be Sky News presenters. However, they will work shift patterns. So that's something that obviously you do every day. Yeah. Do you have any techniques that you use? It depends if they're, if they're basal bolus or if they're on a pump. Because I get up at three o'clock in the morning on a work day, I have uh, a separate profile. So I, I, I start getting a lot more insulin earlier on uh, on the pump on a work day which makes a real big difference because obviously I'm having a sort of early dawn phenomenon when I'm doing shift work. Um, so that works really, really well. When I was Before I was on a pump, um, I just used to have to manage it with extra boluses to try and bring it down first thing in the morning. Um, so it does cause problems, um, 
but you again as long as you understand I, I think it's all down to knowledge isn't it if you understand what is going on with your body then you can counteract it to an extent so even now when i do it if i do a late shift whereas i'm not finishing work doesn't happen very often but I, you know i wouldn't finish work till midnight and wouldn't get home till half past one and then i'll be up till three <laughs> something like that um and you just have to manage with extra little extra little boluses and things just to keep things ticking along so as long as you know there's going to be an issue you can deal with it a little bit better so knowledge is power i think when it comes to all of these things and, and just taking little steps to try to improve it yeah and i guess planning um from that side from you as well yeah. like, is a big a big part of it so then 20 years ago, you get the opportunity to move to Sky News. What's it like when you're the presenter and have that breaking news moment? Oh, it's the best part of the job, which sounds awful because breaking news is normally something awful happening. Um, it, it, as someone on screen, you, you do differentiate slightly between the, what is actually happening to the people involved and what we have to do. There, there, there's a, there's a, a division, a line of separation there because your brain just has to kick into gear. You have to just start dealing with your running order going out of the window and nobody knowing what's going on. And so it's a really exciting time, keeps you on your toes. So it's great, it's great. The only, the, <laughs> the only downside is if you're going hypo when there's breaking news, <laughs> which adds a little bit of extra excitement to the, uh, to the whole process. It's a great job and, and things like breaking news are, uh, it's what we get paid for, really. You mentioned there about how having a hypo incident, has anything ever happened to you while you've been live on air? Going hypo does happen periodically. And sometimes, you know what it's like when you're going hypo, sometimes it's just going, but you can manage. At which point, there is a, my floor managers do have a, a special little stash of chocolate bars in the studio. So <laughs> it can be brought out to me quite quickly. But there are those times when you suddenly feel really debilitated. So there has been once or twice over the years I have had to leave the studio. But thankfully, I tend to do a show with a, another presenter rather than just on my own. So under those circumstances, I can get out and have 10 minutes. But you have to be aware of it. And it's, it's quite why now the, you know, the, the huge benefit of having the, the Freestyle Libre system, having that, makes my life and my job so much easier because I can see what's happening before it's happening, which is really, really nice. So that actually is, is the last few years of being on Freestyle Libre System have completely revolutionized how I handle myself, not only at home, but at work as well. That's great to hear. And obviously, you know, with such a good support network around you at work, that's really important. But how's your support network offset? Well, I'm, I, again, I'm quite independent in terms of my actual life. I handle it quite independently. And I think that's the best way to be, to be honest. I think we need to take charge of our, of our own type one with that. But I'm very lucky that I've got a very good support system at the hospital here, specialists who I can contact and email and, and the, the dsns who i can get in touch with so that is really good actually and one of the huge benefits of that i think with the the freestyle libre system is now that you can you know, all my results are pinging up on the doctor's computer so 
so he can see exactly where I am. Not that he's monitoring 24-7. <laughs> he's got other people to think about. But when you know, should I want to email him with a with a, a question or a query or whatever it may be, he can pull up all of my all of my readings, which is mind blowing, actually. That he he's got access to all of all of that so there is a support network there you know, a private one and a, and a professional one but they're, and they're all linked up by technology which is really nice that's where technology really comes into its own so you you obviously a very high profile person and um having type one has been a large part of your life but at what point did you decide to come out and talk about it? And why is that important? I mentioned it on air. I, well, I don't know when. I mean, quite a few years ago now. And very quickly got a response from quite a lot of people with mean, letters and things back in those days. And, but I remember one family in particular, the Busby family, who, uh, who live in Lancaster. And their son was quite young at the time and had been diagnosed. And apparently it made a real difference to him to see me on the telly and know that I was in the same shoes as him. I sent them a letter and I sent them a signed picture and what have you. And they sent me something back saying so in his medical cupboard, in his diabetic cupboard that he had, he had the picture of me sort of blue tacked up inside the cupboard. And it was that that just makes you think what a responsibility it is to try to be a positive role model. and. You, you forget that it can actually make an impact on people's lives to say, yes, I, I'm a type one and I'm doing this job and nothing's getting in my way. And so from that moment onwards, I just thought, well, when, when there's an opportunity to talk about it, I need to talk about it because if, if it helps one single person, then that's a good that's a good thing. So that's my motivation, really. And the, and the, lo- the lovely Busby family, who I've actually never met, but... They really spurred me on to try and be positive for other people. That's a lovely story and um, so nice to hear that little bit of inspiration can make such a difference to people's lives. So you've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. Who's been the favourite? Oh, how did I know you were going to ask that? It's an impossible question because we get to interview so many people and they're inspirational or important in various ways. Um, and, in, and, and interviewing and meeting people in power, I think, is a great responsibility. But also, it's people you admire. And one of the, the fondest memories I have is interviewing Sir Patrick Moore, because I'm a space geek, and, um, and I interviewed him from home. And it was such a lovely, he was so nice and so friendly. We had a bit of a, a giggle. And things like that, I think, are just really, really lovely. Yeah, that would be one of my favourites, I think, if I was in your position. So, and finally, since everyone loves it, when things have gone wrong on live TV, what's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you? <laughs> How long have we got? Um, <laughs> the, things go wrong all the time, and our job is to cover them all. Although we can't always do it. The worst thing, I think, that probably happened was quite recently, quite recently, and we uh, we we have guests wheeled in and out by the the floor managers and things. So they're sort of they're sat at the desk when we're busy talking about something else, and then the next story comes up. And we so we started this story and about this woman who was trying to reduce her carbon footprint by flying less, 
and this very glamorous lady sat there. <laughs> and um, and so we did the intro and then said, so, you know, why do you want to fly less? <laughs> and it turned out she was actually um, quite a famous musical star. And she was frankly horrified. And we so we, we had to cut to a break and all the rest of it. But introducing this famous guest as somebody else was awful. It wasn't our <laughs> fault. She just got brought in by mistake. Um, but that was very embarrassing. Yeah, she got the right questions in the end. She did in the end after a short commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a short commercial break now as that's time for us to wrap up this episode. So thank you so much for joining us and giving us that insight into your life with Type 1 and your career. If you want to know more, you can see Stephen on Sky News at breakfast or follow him on Instagram at Stephen Dixon TV and on Twitter at Sky Stephen. And if you want more information about living with diabetes, then check out our fantastic education site, Freestyle Progress. There you can find the Freestyle Libre Academy, tutorial videos, webinars, the rest of this podcast series and lots more. That's all online at progress.freestylediabetes.co.uk. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The information provided is not intended to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment or as a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your physician or qualified health provider regarding your condition and appropriate medical treatment. Individual symptoms, situations and circumstances may vary.